Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, and um, this is episode five now? Episode many. Episode two, bloody many. Don't even know what bloody day it is anymore. Have, no. you, have you got to that? You just kind of don't have a clue what day it is. Um, I'm sort of planning my days. I know what day it is by the day that I have a drink. I'm having a drink on sort of Friday nights. Right, mine's Saturday, so yeah, kind of the same so again. I have a drink on that, right, okay, I know what day it is now. It's Saturday, uh, Friday. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. Strange. But I guess um, these podcasts that we've been doing, it's made so much easier now that we've been able to do them on, um, do them on Zoom and Skype and stuff. Yeah, can I just say, like, we this is this is Zoom now when we speak to our guest Shane Meadows we, we recorded on Skype but yeah we've moved up in the world now aren't we we've gone on to bigger things I, I didn't want Zoom I didn't embrace the change but my god I love this I love it I it's so good to podcast anything, anything change I don't like change it unsettles me yeah I think we, we no it was David wasn't it who did change wasn't it um, who, who did the who David David Allen David yeah. Allen Change. Yeah, that was a subject. Yeah, in general, just anything, anything sort of like you get so used to something, don't you? And then it's like bang, then it's changed. But um, like being able that, to go outside your house, you get like so to go outside your house, and then um, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, bang. Um, no, but it's give us um, it's sort of a great opportunity for us to get a lot of the guests that we've been planning on getting for a long time, and now obviously yeah. scheduling a lot. Um, the guests that we've been wanting to get on are sort of available now. So we're quite fortunate and the, 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 which is, you know, the, the, the great guest that we've been able to bring you today's obviously Shane Meadows was one that we, you know, along with Stephen Graham and Shane Meadows, because when we started the podcast, we did say that we don't want it to be a, this is England podcast. And that's, that's not what it is. Yeah. You know, it's just, obviously we was in it together a long time ago, but you know, we, we've sort of, opened open lots of other doors with different guests and things like that but at the end of the day people like Shane and Stephen and Vicky McClure and all these people are our really close friends and it just so happens that you know that we we was in This Is England together so it makes sense that we get all them on yeah but Shane's just brilliant yeah I mean it's again um the listeners will, will hear in a minute but it's it's one of them rare ones where me and you hardly do any work and we're just sitting yeah. enthralled to, to what Shane's saying really, isn't it? Which is, is nice. Yeah, he's got that ability anywhere um where he doesn't do it he do he doesn't do it on purpose, but when he starts to tell a story, everyone around him can just they just sort of get sucked into what he's saying, which is why I guess he's such a great writer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, 
is it, yeah, he's just, yeah, great storyteller, isn't he, I guess. And, um, you know, we, we had him on with a, a few subjects, as a lot of our guests seem to nowadays. It's, it seems like everybody's got a few, which is great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've had some really, really good ones. Like for the, I mean, we've got a massive back catalogue now of, of um, episodes recorded and ready to go out, go out. And some of the some of the subjects have been fucking mint. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, Shane's um, main subject, as you've clicked uh, the link, so you'll know, as we always say, uh, is full sleeves tattoos. Yeah, it was a strange one because obviously, you know, this is England. Very, you know, we've all well. That's that's a big thing. You got the minute. Well, I didn't. My yeah. dad won't let me. <laughs> Which we say in this, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you know, obviously Shane wasn't talking about just, you know, tattoos in general. He was, you know, listen to it, basically. We won't spoil it. But that was good. Um he talks a bit about um how adults speak to children. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. And then making adverts for telly, which a lot of our listeners won't really have much uh, input on, I guess, unless no. you're a director or... I mean, I'm the opposite when it comes to commercials because they pay very fucking well. They do. They so do. When a commercial comes in for me, I'm like, yeah, I can do that for a day. Yeah, fucking right, I can. <laughs> but um, I guess for a, a, a creative director like Shane, it might be a bit... Um, a bit different. Like he touches on in the, in the, in the chat, he, uh, he likes to have full control over what's going on. Yeah. Uh, down to the edit, to the score, to the soundtrack and everything. So I guess when you've got, you know, these, these big corporate companies companies behind their brand, it's, it's a bit different. Normally Shane's making content for his own brand, isn't he? You know, his own stories. So yeah, it's uh, it was a great, it was a great, um, great chat. It's probably, again, I know we say it all the time, but probably one of my favourite. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like say, you know, we've been, obviously we've known Shane luckily, uh, lucky to have known Shane for like 15 years this year, is it? Since we did the film, 2005? Well, it was, this is England's 13th birthday the other day, wasn't it? Yeah, but we filmed it. But well, we filmed it a year before. Or something. Oh, so, yeah, 14... 2005 we filmed it. So yeah, 15 years this year, man. Mm. Feel old, Tomo. Feel old. I know. Little, I feel little... the old, the longer this lockdown goes on, the older I feel. Definitely. Um, well, let's keep uh, everyone entertained on the lockdown. And um, here's Shea Meadows. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Righty-ho. Right, okay. Tom, mm. I'll to introduce. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, here we are again. Uh, God, I lose track of what weeks we're on now. It's You've done weird. 25, yeah. Tom. Uh, have we done 25? Is that how many I've released now? We, I know we've been busy recording more I, recently. I think I went on Spotify. There was, um, I think it was 20, I think it was 25. Yeah, that, 25, that we're yeah. Yeah, yeah so, something like that. And then, because now we're on series two, so... I've changed it now, so this might be at say I don't know. Let's say four. <laughs> Good measure. God, yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit more forward planning wouldn't have gone amiss. And like, I know, yeah. <laughs> all the time that we've got, I guess we're just all like we've just been saying. We've just been so busy like doing the garden and do, like just like my house is absolutely gleaming, spotless at the minute with everything that's going on. So I guess it's kind of you finding the good in it. But how are you doing, Shane? Yes, I'm good, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of friends, as I, you know, yourself included, and and a lot of crew who were just, you know, some had had really lean Christmas, lean winters, and had just got back into work, um, yeah. who had their jobs pulled from under them, and you know, obviously, um, you know, there's plenty of people with far more to worry about than just, you know, not having work for a while. But you know, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm in our game, Tom. I'm one of the luckier ones. I was just in the middle of. And I'm in the middle of writing a series, you know, which is obviously like self-isolation before you even go anywhere. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it, I've got the same thing as a lot of parents. Um, you know, the kids suddenly becoming a teacher at home for a number of hours a day, everyone being trapped in the house together and all of that. But you see what's going on to, to other people and hear other stories. And, it, you know, it obviously it pales by comparison and you just got to crack on, do your bit. And uh, anyone that comes past me too near on their pushback, I just slap their arse. <laughs> how are you finding the homeschooling mate are you are you finding all that um not too bad i i, I said like I, I did this really stupid thing of telling my kids because I, I got 91 percent because my kids had found some reports that i had when i was at school and you know they're not good they're sort of like ted bundy style um you know really worry <laughs> and so i sort of said yeah but I, I was really good at maths and that but you know and i got 91 percent in this test but it was like I was in a really low group. And I think, you know, it was one of those kind of mercy scores. Um, and um, But I, I lived on that, and, you know, and I sort of, so I pretended to them that I was much better at maths than I was. And so they, <laughs> they came to me with all these problems and that. And I think I'd sort of pretended I'd slipped a disc and couldn't quite remember the phrase and went for a three mile walk and like, and I had to learn all about it. And, but I'm getting into it now. And, I kind of, <laughs> and we've got, to, my lad's got, a, he had a drum kit for his birthday and uh, and so we, we're doing like a little music lesson once a week and doing the maths but I, I can't lie my, my wife's 
doing um you know the english and a lot of the stuff like that you know it's been uh so you know i'm, I'm doing that classic father thing of doing 15 percent or maybe two percent and then uh, making out i've done really well <laughs> oh, it's kind of nice though to spend all the time with your family like for me i haven't got um obviously people know i haven't got kids but andy you've got two haven't you um and you've yeah. got two haven't you shane i've got two mate yeah yeah i, I guess it's kind of a treat two, andy. Sorry? Sorry, I was going to say I can't believe you're on too because the, the mad thing for me is obviously we you know I started working with you Tom when you were two and Gadget was fifteen <laughs> um, and it's really it's really mental you know because obviously I had kids a bit later in life so it, it's it's crazy for me to um, yeah to think that all of the guys from you know the original This Is England film starting to have kids and I know you're married in that T it's amazing yeah yeah it's mental it's... Andy told me yesterday in a conversation he was like. He said, I was 24 when he had Phoebe, his first one. And I was like, oh, 24. Oh, my God. And then I thought back and I thought, what was I doing when I was 24? And I was like, oh, God, it's not even worth thinking about. I know. My mum had my sister when she was 16. I mean, 24 then was probably old. Um, but nowadays, um, it, yeah, it seems it seems so young, doesn't it, how much things have changed? Yeah. 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 But I'm saying my, my mum was 18 when she had me and her mum was 18 when she yeah. had her so I, I always kind of thought I'd, I'd have I'd have kids young but yeah but it, it's one of them isn't it like Tomo now you probably don't feel ready like I don't think you, I don't think you ever do feel ready do you Shane it's one of them it's just kind no. of like oh, right okay <laughs> yeah this yeah when it lands yeah it, it, but it is it's, it, it is one of them in equal measures it's like a massive slap around the face because I, I was much worse at staying awake than I realized but then yeah, you same. know it, yeah it's a, it's a obviously it's a life changer and uh you don't have to do it, Tom, but I can't wait for you to do it so I can ring you in that first six weeks. Oh, <laughs> no, it's one of them. Like, because me it's and Charlotte, we've, we've been together for, God, coming on 11 years now, I think me and Charlotte have been together. Jesus. Um, we're in our second year of marriage now. So, but people always say, like, because we've got a big friendship group, um, people are always saying, you know, um, say if my mate Josh has a baby, everyone will go, oh, Charlotte and Tomo next, Charlotte and Tomo next. And we're like, no, we're not, not yet. But it's, it's been like that for years. Everyone's saying, oh, you two next, you, you two next. But I think we, um, we, we, in a way, I guess we're kind of a bit too selfish in a way because we enjoy our time. We, we love being out, particularly with our job. It's like, say, yeah. say if I'm away working or whatever, Charlotte can just, she can get in the car on a Friday, Friday afternoon after work and come see me and, you know, we can go out and have some fun and we can do whatever we want. Whereas if we had kids, it'd be like you, you sort of your whole life changes and it evolves around them, which is obviously a good thing. And like you, you'll then learn to have fun in other ways. But it's kind of like it's a, it's a scary thing, really. I don't know. It's a yeah, big lifestyle no, it's, change. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, of course it is, mate. And you're young enough. I mean, you know. Me and Joe didn't have kids till we were in our sort of mid-30s, you know, and uh, you do it mm. two ways. I think my mum and dad did it really young. So by the time I think my sister was sort of 13 or 14, she could babysit for me. And they were so by the time my sister was 13, my mum would have been like 29. So mm. she was like able to go back out again with a babysitter at 29. It's <laughs> just like, yeah. you know. But I suppose, you know, it, it, I think do it early or do it late um, and, uh, you know, it can work both ways. But you definitely, you know, if you're enjoying your time together now, do don't. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. We'll be cruise ship parents by the time, yeah, our, kids, by the, by the time our kids are 18. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be past all of the traveling around Thailand and things like that. We'll just be like, let's go on a cruise. Let's just do a cruise. Kind of yeah, a chilled definitely. holiday. But um, yeah, I think I don't know. We're, we're nearly 30 now. So maybe in the next couple of years, I think. 
yeah it'll come and in it, it just kind of comes comes from nowhere and when it when it does it, it is obviously the most amazing thing and um but yeah you're much better to have some idea you fancy it yeah that's it, isn't it? And, and charlotte because she's um she runs a nursery in cleethorpes and she's worked with um children since since she was 17 she's been at that nursery so i could literally couldn't think of a better person to have kids with she's so good with kids so yeah i guess i'm kind of lucky great. in aspects yeah <laughs> and she makes a cracking sunday roast so yeah I've kind of <laughs> landed on my feet really there yeah you're doing amazing mate yeah that's it but um while so, we're on kids then we on. may as well go on to it because jane you've got a few subjects for us which i love that you've got a few yeah brilliant yeah. subjects um i don't i don't know what the, the title of the episode's going to be yet <laughs> i guess it depends which one goes on the longest um, yeah, but it'll be the adverts you, that go on the longest but <laughs> oh, all right, brilliant well let's kick off then as soon as we're talking about kids with with the first one um because me and tomo we, we didn't know what you meant by it i kind of thought do you, do you mean like when people sort of baby the kids like I, I i'm not like that you know like i kind of speak to phoebe like not like an adult but i don't treat her like a baby yeah. um but I, and then tomo said you didn't know whether you meant you know people who shout at the kids in the supermarket or or whatever so it's kids so our, our parents talk to kids under seven yeah so yeah yeah <laughs> so basically I, I was you know obviously you have kids and you go to the park and you have this idea in your own head that obviously i'm a bit like you you know you sort of yeah you know, I could hear, I, basically when people speak to kids under seven they always seem to have a really posh name like there's like there might be three or four they might have bought the friends from down the road and there's like two mums or you know a whole family and then all these little kids there and you'd hear them calling out you know look ruthless don't take that train off limmy you know and, and i'd start hearing this stuff coming out of people's mouths and i hated them and i you know and i, I was sort of thinking god almighty you know wh- wherever we went you go to visit like you know some like farm or something with the kids and just the way that you hear parents talking and you're sort of looking at people thinking god i bet i bet 30 seconds before your baby was born you'd probably spew up if you heard yourself talking like this (laughs) (laughs) this amazing thing happened where obviously you start watching videos about you've done your kids and i'm doing it myself And I'm like, Arthur, stay away from Louis, and he doesn't deserve that right now. Look at yourself, young man. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. This is like <laughs> a disease that everyone catches. And I used to, I was judging all of these people um, for the way that they talk to their kids. Because you don't, people say you become your parents, but it's it's like worse than that. You become an absolute twat. Um, <laughs> and I don't, yeah, not even in a mean way, where you're trying to be all kind of, all kind of kind and nice and judging everyone's feelings and you just sound like an absolute jerk ball um so uh, yeah that was just one of my little ones that was um i was going around pre-judging people at various parks and uh, entertainment centers around the country and then heard myself <laughs> video doing exactly the same and wanted to throw up in my mouth <laughs> it is hard though isn't it because like i guess i guess even like my my mum like obviously we're different generations my mum would have spoke to me completely different to how parents do speak to the kids nowadays like you know because there is a lot of that like you say nowadays uh, there's a lot of emphasis on you know how the how the children are are feeling and and stuff I guess and stuff like that but I did it yesterday I was in the back garden with Phoebe and um we took a stabilizers off a bike for the first time oh amazing yeah so we I mean we've got a fairly decent sized back garden so I'm going to give it a go trying to teach her while we're doing quarantine but I, again yeah I found myself turning into that kind of 
that dad that I, you know, used to watch on TV, like oh, I'd never be him. I was like, come on, Phoebe, you can do it. Just, just lift and push, and not, just, you know, just like sounding like Mister Motivator or something, trying to get her to ride a bike. It's because it's because it's, it's kind of what you're meant to be doing. I think it's the fact that when you hear it from someone else and you haven't got the perspective of being a parent, you kind of judge them. I mean, honestly, early doors because you know my wife is incre- been incredible and she's really meticulous with, and rightly so with with bugs and all of that. So, and I'm quite yeah. an inherent lazy pig and so when we were doing the sterilizing in the house we had this sterilizer and when our arty was born he had this tongue tie thing and he, he um he couldn't eat properly because he had this really thick tongue tie and he couldn't eat from a bottle so we have to you have to feed him with syringes and oh, we used wow. to end up with about 13 times more bits and pieces um to sterilize and um, and so joe obviously told me you know i had to go through like rigorous training to learn how to do it and uh, <laughs> and i was told there was a limit to what could go into this pot and it's like you know four bottles four lids and you know and four teats or you can have you know three so and I, and and, I, and a couple of times in the night joe would go to bed because he was he had this tongue tie so he had awful colic and was crying and couldn't eat but was hungry wow. And so you've got these, so um, so he wouldn't sleep sitting down. So I used to have to stand up holding him. Well, and I would watch Boone because Boone was running throughout the night on like UK gold, Ken Boone. And mm. um, so, and then you'd go to sit down and he'd cry and I'd, and I'd be so knackered. So I, when I went in to do these chores, um, there'd be like 376 things and one container. And I'm, I'm thinking I've got, I'm going to be here for about four hours having to do them in, in the way that I've been trained. <laughs> so because she's asleep. <laughs> Um, I'll, um, I'll I'll add a few extra bits in. <laughs> then I couldn't find, I couldn't find the sterilising lotion either. <laughs> so I got I got some fairy washing up liquid and literally oh, no. scientists with machines couldn't get as much into that thing as I got into it. It was like it was literally like a cage with animals' faces pressed against the side of it, all dying. And I put it in the microwave, and then I felt I was <laughs> I was watching the microwave, and it obviously wasn't facing the door. I, I, I wasn't able to see what was going on behind me. And then as this ping happened, um, I, I could feel this presence behind me, and oh, uh, and it was one of those where it's in there, and she was kind of I can't remember what it was, but it was along the lines of "Show me what you've done." And <laughs> <laughs> got this thing <laughs> it was all like bubbles and suds and 14 million melted plastic items in this pot and um and yeah and i got i got caught red-handed and then yeah i, I did a number of things like that right and I, it's like you know i'm inherently of a 70s and 80s kind of mode and obviously joe does everything properly um and i i appear to be doing everything properly but where i can get away with it i do risk everyone's health i was gonna say there is there is a lot to to learn though shane so you're not on your own we've all cut corners with with stuff like that because like the sterilizing thing i've never fully understood either so because after a certain age you could kind of lower stop doing it can't you and yeah 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 you can yeah and it it obviously it's it's one of those things that it's designed to do a certain amount of things so the steam can circulate so if you fill it with 99.9 percent plastic there's like 0.1 of a percent for steam to get around so i you know i just she's got a sixth sense for that stuff i tried to sneak out with him once because he wouldn't sleep because i know he sleeps in the car and she'd gone to bed and i gave it an hour i was watching i watched an episode of boone 
and then after an hour of that, I thought, there's no, you know, she's going to be flat out now. And I snuck out the door. I opened the door, left it slightly ajar, went to the car. <laughs> I was going to put me in the child seat. And there was a knock at the window above. It was like something from Psycho. And I looked up <laughs> and she was just stood in the window with a finger, like, as in going, come back into the house. <laughs> <laughs> the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And, uh, it was, was like a top mission. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so there, there's me kind of going around judging all these parents, you know, like, Philip, leave Sally alone, you know, all of that malarkey. Um, and, yeah, I was the worst of them. Oh, my God. That's it. That whole thing about the whole sterilising things, like, th- that scares me, things like that, because I'm always, I'm exactly the same. And the way Andy worded it, he said, like, cutting corners. I'd think, ah, yeah. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And next, next thing, your baby's turning into a lizard. I'm like, I, I, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of them. You get used to it fairly quick. I remember when when my second was born, Willow. We um, I was I was working away at the time, so I was like coming home on the weekends and stuff as much as possible. And I remember coming home like sort of the second or third weekend and because I'm away during the week my house had just completely changed it had gone from being a house with a toddler uh, not a toddler a house with a a young child to a house with a baby again and I just remember coming home one weekend and like kind of semi breaking down to Emily like I just I don't know where anything is in the house anymore (laughs) my kitchen site's full of like say sterilizing machines and uh, a special kind of kettle that we can't use that's just for the baby and, and, and all stuff like that. I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> and did, so did you actually, did you like me so, sort of wonder how on earth you ever grew up without with your eyes still seeing out of them? Because as soon as my kids started walking about, you suddenly see sharp edges and all of these, like yeah. the house becomes like a sort of murder zone. Um, you have to put all the things in to stop knife drawers being. I'm sort of thinking. None of that existed when I was a kid. I remember Paddy Considine saying to me that, you know, because one of his sisters had quite a lot of kids, and he said that they were so adept at not hurting themselves, you know, that they'd like, there could be a glass full of flaws and needles and sharp edges, and they'd manage to walk across it without a cut. And I think sometimes if you if you massively um, go the other way and you completely remove all danger, it's like the, if there's one sharp edge in the old house, they seem to bang their head on it always always it's, it's the same like with with willow now because we, we had it quite all right with phoebe i can't really remember her being as kind of adventurous and 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 you know but with willow she's literally if there's something she shouldn't be doing she's she's doing it you know we've got like yeah. a log log feature in the fireplace kind of thing <laughs> and she's like pulling logs out of that and we've oh. got like a little um we went to on our honeymoon we went to the like the grand canyon and stuff and I nicked like a little rock from the Grand Canyon. So that's on like our oh, um, nice. side unit. And I found her the other day chewing on this, you know, ancient <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. oh, but that's do, a scary do. thing. That's a scary thing, isn't it? But um, I kind of like now I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I've had none of that. I've had nothing to worry <laughs> about that. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, all to come. Your, the Tiger King and that, can't you? And just put your oh, feet I've not on. seen that yet. So people keep mentioning it, but I, it's have you seen it, Shane? Yeah, it's like you know um, Keith Lemon playing Mark in America <laughs> running a zoo. It's, it's <laughs> absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, playing Mark Herbert. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, or Mark playing Keith Lemon the other way. But it, it, you can't believe it's real. I mean, it's absolutely gobsmacking. 
because yeah, I watched the first step and it's crazy. Have you seen it's Wild, Wild Country on Netflix? Wild Country? No, no. No, that that was amazing because um, it's like you just it was about this um, this kind of uh, guru that came to set up a almost like a meditation type center with its own philosophy, almost like a, a religion that he bought to America. He bought this piece of scrubland. I can't remember whether it was Arizona or somewhere, but this story sort of starts as something you can get your head around, and then you know. Three months into it, the people in the town obviously don't really like them being there. And three months later, they've all voted in the elections, made him the mayor. Um, and they're all wearing pink suits with machine guns and have changed all the rules. It's like absolutely amazing. And and I never thought I'd see anything that kind of kept tripping my head as much. But the Tiger King's almost more comedic. The stuff that happens isn't, isn't actually funny. But somehow that main guy... Um, uh, I mean, I, I won't even ruin it. You, you know, you have to sort of see it to believe it. But yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. I keep yeah, seeing I like the... memes all over the internet. So, like, I, like I, I, I've already agreed to myself that Carol Baskin's a bitch, and I've never met her. I never, I don't even know who she is. But because of the internet, it's like you. I already feel like I know who she is. You know, what I mean, it's mental. Yeah, she's she's incredible. She kind of you remember like when we did the Pagan Festival and this is England ninety, mm. and some of the girls there are those like rings of flowers in their hair and that. She kind of wears that. But what oh. they what they do brilliantly in the in this um, the series is they obviously start recording with people. 20 30 seconds or a minute before they sit down and you know and do the interview and that's so telling you know because it's like how they're trying to present themselves all sat they're all hippie chic by a tree and stuff but the bit where they they know uh, yeah it's it's amazing um, and mate honestly every episode you think it can't be any more mental than the last one and it is <laughs> yeah we started the first one the other night and um it is it is just brilliant i, I can't wait to watch the rest the um the the guy who the other big cat keeper who like he's trying to direct the episode isn't he i thought that was brilliant it's genius yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, get a shot of me walking in guys <laughs> got about 94 wives the other bloke's got two husbands carol baskin we think may have not one of her husbands i mean it's like day or three yeah but it just what what was amazing if, if you know nothing else or you know you learn nothing else from it is i had no idea i remember seeing I think Mike Tyson had a tiger in the hangover or it, it was something around that where there was a tiger in yeah. the room. And um, and I had no idea that the, the laws were so lax in America that loads of people just have pet tigers. And obviously they it's haven't forsaken really good well, nature. Hasn't Memphis Depay, who used to play for Man United, he's, he's just got one, hasn't he? Yeah, that, that's that, it's like I, I, you can basically kind of buy them. This, this, it all started. This documentary filmmaker was doing something at some exotic animal place, and this dude come in to buy this like what looks like a three hundred and fifty foot long python, goes to put it in the back of the van, and I think there's like a white leopard in the back of his van, and it, and it all takes off from there, and he finds out where he got it. So that the premise being that they have these bloody. They're born, these little pups are born, and uh, and then people come around his zoo, open, close, bracket, zoo, and uh, and then once it gets to a certain age, they just get sold off. And um, so, it, it, you know, it, obviously what he's doing is cynical, but she's obviously claiming that she runs an actual sanctuary, but it's probably more scary than anyone else in it. Mm. Oh, my mm. God. Yeah. The, it's, um, it's some of the things that are being made now is... It's mental, isn't it? Like the whole um, that making a murderer thing was was crazy on Netflix. Did, did yeah. anyone see that? That broke the mold, didn't it? That it was a bit like Sopranos in TV drama terms. It just kind of went wherever you thought the level was. This is the new one, 
Um, yeah, it was a watershed moment making a murderer. Yeah, it kind of changed the way that documentaries was being made, didn't it? Like, it was just just so ruthless and the the things that you could never imagine happening. It's just like Netflix have kind of, kind of like what Channel 4 do in a way. Channel 4 are the ones that will get all the real, like you could never imagine This Is England being on BBC or ITV. No, a little bit more real and a little bit more risky if you know what i mean yeah, i guess yeah. that's what i mean they haven't got that sheen to them have they they, they kind of uh, yeah they can be a bit more raw and i mean i, I grew up with i remember channel 4 launching and i can't remember whether it i know i think the first film that came on was this film called walter with ian mckellen they they sort of did a big launch and jesus that film was heartbreaking he played um a guy with uh, with special needs but was being I, I can't remember it completely but i think it was like in the east end of london and it, oh the bullying and it was like you know it stayed with me and so you know i've always had a a love affair with especially with early channel 4 drama and you know the bbc back in the day um, some of their play for today's and things like that were absolutely groundbreaking um, you know you hope now like with the advent of netflix and people like that that it might just break the walls down a bit again and they get back to some of that more edgy stuff yeah yeah, yeah. um that that'll kind of lead us nicely into uh, to your next subject i think shane okay yeah which was the what was it again the the second one that you said oh was it um making commercials for the telly mm, yeah yes well because I, I, I say overrated because it's like um I, I obviously when i was making my early films you know you don't you don't make a lot of money and and a lot of times if you need pickups or reshoots I mean, this is England. Me and Mark both had to put a quarter of our wages back into that to get the reshoots done. And even though it went on to sell a million DVDs, we never got that money back. And so, you know, not I'm not moaning about that. You know, I needed to get the ending and stuff like that. But so I, I started um, hearing about, you know, making commercials quite early on in my career as a way of, you know, um, as a way of making ends meet and, you know, getting a few luxuries so I could buy an NX5 or a Fiat Ponto. <laughs> and, um, so I, yeah, so I started doing them, and after about, I, I, I maybe did four or five one year, and um, and they are, you know, I found them, and this is a, you know, the proviso being that I think it's all down to me that I'm like there's something inherently in me that I just can't take shit or I can't take fakeness. Um, mm. I really struggle with it. Now, obviously, if you're being paid five thousand pounds a day. To do, I mean, when I say a day, you might do a two-day shoot. You know, you're not doing like 50 yeah, days yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nothing compared to footballers' wages. But you know, at the beginning of it, you kind of go, well, for five grand a day, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do anything. I'll like fiddle yeah, how, with. Yeah, like how high do you want me to jump? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I learned so much about myself in there that I don't have the ability to, to, to basically. I don't have the ability to lie when someone's talking out their arse. And I certainly don't have the ability to laugh when a joke isn't funny. <laughs> it's like, and yeah. so, but, but I can't, I kind of, you get kind of drawn in where you kind of keep, you, you have long enough away from it that, um, that you sort of think, well, it wasn't that bad. And to be honest with you, I met, I met some incredible actors across it. I met Joe Hartley in a rehearsal for an advert for the Sun newspaper, as I did Emily Aston, who were both, um, you know, dead man's shoes, you know. So, and I used to get to try cameras, new cameras, when uh, red cameras first came out, I got to try them. So there's all of these positives. It's a great learning curve, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. But then we did this, we did this one. I remember uh, Mark um, Herbert said to me, you know, because we'd be doing these jobs together, like Dead Man's Shoes, 
and uh, and Mark was kind of I, I was done with doing adverts, and Mark, you know, was saying to me, look, you know, with we're thinking about you know branching out and maybe uh, getting into commercials and i said stay away from it mate i said it, it's so soul destroying and he was like well how soul destroying can it be you mighty bastard five grand a day ten grand a day what people are getting paid how hard can it be i said honestly something happens to you in there you know there's something <laughs> something really awful so he didn't believe me and uh, and i didn't believe me really either i think i just got to that place where i thought it might all be okay again and we took on this job and uh, mark set up a company to do these uh, commercials and uh, and I thought I'll just give it you know one kind of one last hurrah and Mark's going to get into them and if I'm doing them with Mark maybe it'll it might be, be a little bit easier yeah yeah absolutely and um and then we had a, like literally the worst job I've ever done in my life the hard everything that could go wrong went wrong I mean it was an advert that was meant to be set in the summer and we didn't end up shooting it until October and it snowed um, oh god and about 10 foot of snow came down and um and and it was it yeah it was absolutely like the worst experience of my life mark opened up the company and within three months had closed it down again and, <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. yeah nearly had a nervous breakdown over it and it's wow. yeah, so it's just a world that um that <clears throat> i got to um and and i kind of realized that you know no amount of money i think it come from my dad if i'm honest I, you know my dad's always been one of those people that if someone is in a position above you or they think they're in a position above you and they speak to you like shit he just would he just won't take it he'll react yeah. and he'll say something and um you know and, and my dad's come back sometimes from a job and he's jacked his job in I mean, mum's obviously going spare because we've got to pay the rent got to pay the bills and all of that but there was always this sort of deep actually when you heard what had been said or what had actually gone on there he just said they can fucking ride you know <laughs> just like I'm not having that. and i think that followed me into into making commercials and it's like uh i mean there's been there was an incredible series uh called uh is it the toast of london yeah brilliant series yeah which which, which looks into that world and another one which is brilliant which looks into um the american system which was uh episodes with matt leblanc and oh i'm i'm obsessed yes. with that. i love because yeah, <clears throat> i first went out to um to america in 90 i think it was 96 97 it would have been with actually would have been with um 24 7 with bob hoskins and i was getting that sort of treatment a bit you know where, you, where they just won that bafta and all of these people come for you and they they you know they all want a piece of you i remember coming into my hotel room at the toronto film festival i don't think they have them anymore but these phones they have like a red flashing light on them and for the first two days i was there the film hadn't been screened and you know you'd come in there'd be the, it never was anything other than just a plain red light and after the screening, it got this big review. And then I come back that night after this big dinner and the phone was just flashing constantly. I picked it up and pressed the answer phone thing. And I got like 32 messages and wow. all of this stuff started happening, you know, and, and I was like just about to sign a deal with um, with some people in, in the UK. And all of these people start blowing smoke up your ass. And the way they handle it in episodes, I can't remember the main dude who works at the studio with the beard and the slightly bald head, the one who always takes the yeah. piss accents. I mean, everybody was was like that. But the first time round, you don't know that they're bullshitting you or you don't know that it's just how they play the game. And uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of come back from America and I was having presents sent to my house. Nothing crazy, but you'd mention... <laughs> Because I'm a right techno head, I'd mentioned like a Palm Pilot or a new some new clamshell phone that had just been launched by Motorola, and by the time I'd got home from America, that them things were at my house, and so you're thinking, 
Um, so, you know, you hear all of these stories about these guys, the, you know, the guy that did Judge Dredd being one of the most famous um, and um, and the guy that did, oh, my God, why can't, Richard Stanley, the, one of the most amazing stories ever, an incredibly talented man that went to do a horror film, which was The Island of Dr. Moreau. It's one of the most heartbreaking stories ever that truly gifted filmmaker and just got absolutely broken. And I got that got very close to signing a deal, a six film deal with a studio out there and just got cold feet and kind of thought, you know, something's not right here and backed out of it. And, um, but you know, when you see things like episodes and you look at what happens to them with that series, I I know that would have happened to me because what (laughs) I kind of do isn't, I suppose, you know, I, I can only work one way, you know, and I can't, I couldn't work under that system. Yeah. It's, it's more, I mean, it is, it is a, a complete and utter business especially out there isn't it like you know i, I love that have you ever watched entourage as well I'm yeah, not I, I love entourage. No. it's it's again that shows it from from that kind of side as well because it's all you know it's it's um it's based on the actor and, and his like based wild, on mark Wahlberg's life isn't it oh, yeah okay. yeah it's exactly. semi-based on mark yeah. um but yeah but you see that kind of thing like you say there yeah, with the agents like you know they're just they're just relentless. The the agents and and the the people trying to sign you up for deals and and oh, how yeah. hard it is to you know to get out of them deals and and things like that. Like it is a proper cut cutthroat business, I guess, over there. Yeah, where we, we haven't quite got that yet, have we? No, because we, we, we you know we all agents. Uh, you know, everyone's uh, agents have been around. You know, since the sort of entertainment industry began. But uh, you go to, uh, you know, and I know people that work here and in America, and they've kind of got two agents, a lawyer, a publicist, and you know, they have this massive team. You're sort of thinking, well, what if if everyone's taking ten percent here or five percent there? What, what are you taking? Yes, yeah. and you know, if you need it, fair enough. But. You know, you know, all I've ever had is an agent, and that's been good. And I'm sure, like you say, maybe when you get out there, it's a completely different world. But, yeah, it, it's absolutely frightening. And maybe a bit like what's happened in Premier League football, where once you get people in between striking the best deals and, um, you know, and they've got maybe two or three people in their camp, uh, you know, it starts to get stinky. Yeah, yeah. It can get too many, what is it, too many uh, chefs ruin the what is it <laughs> it's gone now too many cooks spoil the broth or something. That's it. yeah yeah it, it is and it's but it, you know i'd never changed those early days because it, it was just what what a thing to have done you know as a younger man and i, I never reached the top of anything I and mean, you know i never never been to the oscars never been to the golden never done that but just as a you know because I, I suppose i don't know a, a year before i was out there i mean i was i was still on the dole when i went to um when I went to uh, Toronto, because I was going out, I, I got, um, they gave me something, I don't know, $50, $50 a day or $30 a day to live on, which was amazing. Um, but when I was out there, I was, because I really wanted, I couldn't afford a Rolex. And I'd always wanted a Rolex ever since I was a kid. You know, the, the Sean Connery, James Bond thing, Marlon Brando, um, yeah. you know, that in uh, Apocalypse Now, that sort of vibe. And so, and I knew when you go to these, places in america like new york toronto you can get these copies and i bought this copy and i thought oh I'll get me dad a tag copy because he loves tags and i bought this tag copy and then i went back to the hotel and was playing pool and this bloke went oh you know you know nice watch dude and i was like oh it's a fakie and he said what well, yeah he said, no, it's, it's not a fakie because the, the hand's sweeping around it means it's an automatic i said no no i had to go a bit deeper into the city but i didn't want a ticker because everyone knows you know like if it's got a battery 
And he yeah. said, oh, I'd love one of them, you know, take my wife one. And so, so and he asked me what they cost. I think I think I paid $40 for mine. And I told him they were like $90. And um, so I went out <laughs> and bought two and come back. And this thing started spreading around. <laughs> Um, that this guy is getting like really good copies of Rolexes and all of these execs from Miramax and people, they weren't going to pretend they were real, but they were just like giving them to staff. And and then I started playing, <laughs> and oh I'd be playing pool in, this, in the reception of my lobby and like people had come in like I was like Zamo's drug dealer in Grange Hill. <laughs> I was coming in and like, I can have a quick word with you in the toilets, man. I'm saying like, yeah, we can do it here. It's only a watch. And uh, and I, and I bought all this stuff, and um, and between that, and I used to, if, if ever anyone wanted a meeting, I'd always make sure it was at a meal time, so I didn't have to buy anything. <laughs> it was like shimmy, you might have to shimmy before yeah. you. Yeah, I was literally just about to say, maybe shimmy learn it all from you. Maybe, <laughs> maybe shimmy is your fault. Yeah, I took a meeting with Walt Disney once, and um, and told him that I'd got this idea for a film because my agent said, look, I don't know why Walt Disney would see, I think it was with Romeo Brass, why Walt Disney would watch Romeo Brass and think that you'd work for Disney. I said, well, you know, let's just do the same as usual, book them in for breakfast <laughs> and I'll pretend I've got something, <laughs> something to do about it. So I'm doing this meal and I, and, I, and I was thinking on the way, what can I do? What could I come up with as an idea? And uh, and I, I thought, well, that Herbie, they've just re-released the, um, it was around the time I think they'd re-released the Beatle. Um, and uh, and so I go to talk to them and I, and I sort of think, well, I'll just tell them I'm thinking about making this idea of Herbie Goes Bananas, but with ram raiding. So it's like that he's, Herbie's being used for really evil purposes, but then it ends good. And um, and in the end, that film got made. I don't know whether they used the frigging ram raiding in Moss Side bit that I was joking about. <laughs> but when I got back from America, they kept bringing me agent and wanted to talk to me about this idea again. And I was going, Jody, it was a joke. I was like, as if I'm going to make Herbie goes bananas twice. And um, yeah, and so that that was one of those that backfired a little bit. But they, um, yeah, God knows why they wanted me in the room. But for some reason, I needed sausages and I just went along with it. <laughs> that that's amazing well worth watching though a shane meadows disney film's gotta be somewhere like yeah alternate universe <laughs> that's one thing like with, with tv commercials because i know you've said to us in the past that you've done them and i think i've seen a couple of them but like because of your style of working shane i imagine like i could i, I couldn't imagine what it must be like on a commercial because i've done them myself and yeah. they're so like quick and they're so shiny and it needs to be so perfect Whereas your style of working is like, obviously speaking from experiences, we've gone into a room before and we've sat and rehearsed for two hours before the cameramen are even been allowed into the room because like the way you work, everything's got to be spot on and everything's got to be truthful and everything's got to be real. So it's like, I think just the idea of you doing a commercial is a bit like, yeah, yeah it's, it's very- it is. A, yeah, it's Tommy. It, it's like a real, it was you know, and it was greed, I suppose, really, because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't not eating. I just, you know, I remember getting into motorbike, you know, because I'm in my early 20s and you're sort of thinking, oh, I'd, you know, lusting over the fastest. I mean, I've not had a motorbike for 10 years, 15 years since I had kids, really. Um, and you kind of, yeah, but when I went to, I mean, I remember doing this pattern starts to emerge it's like anything like you're in a relationship with somebody and you get back together and then the thing that started to piss you off pisses you off a bit quicker this time and then three months you break up then a month then a week and then you think i do one more day of this and you know i'm gonna have a mental health breakdown and that that kind of happened a bit within this because what would go on is they'd hire you 
and you'd you know you'd have a meeting with people and and you'd say you know why was it you were thinking of me for this and that and it all sounded completely normal we've got kids in it we've seen what you did in Romeo Brass or what you do with newcomers you know what you've done in this is England we want you to we, you know adverts they all say the same thing you know adverts feel very staged uh, very formulaic and we want this to be different and the first time you do that you think that's the case I mean the first commercial I ever made was a baptism of fire the like of which you would you wouldn't believe it was it was all over the country in about 15 different locations so right from um the cliffs of dover to the highlands of scotland so if you're going to not really be getting on with someone or not enjoying yourself and you're trapped on a minibus doing that um it's going to reveal itself quite quickly and it's not these guys fault but they it was their first job it was my first job so there was these senior partners and tom if you've done an advert you'll know there's about three thousand layers and levels yeah and you walk into other rooms where you're shooting and there's another set of monitors and you're like who are they and they're yeah, like they're, yeah it's ridiculous yeah and and so we went on this job and, and i quickly realized the guys who were the senior guys, no matter what me and the junior guys agree, the senior guys are obviously making all the decisions and you can see that that's going on. So if the junior guys want to have four hours with you after a really long day, you start to think, oh God, you know, I don't want to do this because I know ultimately no matter what we agree, it's not going to happen. And uh, that first, we did a cut of that advert and I, you know, I won't talk about each advert by name or anything, but we did, I did a cut and me and the junior dudes watched it and they said, look, that's never seen a first cut. That's brilliant. It's so good. Never seen one that good. I said, well, you know, the editor did it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so but we just, we, all we need to do is just show the senior guys and, um, and then, um, well, that'll be it. You know, you've got our think, you know, our word it's done. And the senior guys came in and I'm not joking. It was just like that. Brilliant. You know, that little tiny bit towards the end where, you know, where he's, I don't know, he's crossing over from this part of the country to that part of the country. Do you think you could put this on? And then this this string started getting tugged at. 42 cuts later, I mean, not, not like simple cuts. I mean, as in 42 completely different adverts changed and thrown around later. I just said, I, I rang the woman who I was doing it for. I said, I've done 42 cuts. I don't even know what my name is. Um, I might... <laughs> Am I allowed to leave or what what what's the rules now? Are people allowed to beat me up? You know, what 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 can they get for their money? And she said, Well, if you've done forty-two cuts, uh, I think you've probably, you know, what what you do is put your director's cut forward. And then um and yeah, you know, long story short, I left that first cut. I said the one I I remember being good was the first one. And obviously you do with it what you want. And uh and and they went back to the first cut about three and a half years later after arguing about it for ages. And I should have known then that it wasn't for me. Um, but like I say, especially at the very, very beginning, uh, it was it was just a way of a means to an end, a way to be able to go into restaurants and eat posh cottage pie and buy <laughs> things I never would have got. But uh, yeah, if you've done them, Tom, I mean, it's and, you know, and the great thing, of it, it's like having a hangover. No one feels sorry for you. Like on an advert, I'm not going to feel sorry for you. You just got paid loads of cash. It's your own yeah. fault. So it's no one's fault but my own. But yeah, the one me and Mark did topped that one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely made a few too many. Is, is there any that you've made that you that you are, that you do really like though? Because I, I mean, I, I know of a few of the commercials. Obviously, like you say, don't want to name them out, but like that are, that are really good, and you can tell it's kind of your style on them. Yeah, the, the ones. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not, I don't think any of them are awful. Um, I just think it's that thing of what you get. What you think you're going to be able to bring to it, you can't bring to it. So it's not like they're awful. The experiences weren't so good. But the one uh, that I really, really loved doing, really enjoyed and, and stand by where I was given free reign, where I did, um, I can't remember how long ago it would be now, but I did some for, for the co-op. 
uh, I did a film called Summerstown with Tomo through Greg Nugent, who was uh, looking after all the kind of publicity um, for uh, for the uh, opening of the Eurostar at St Pancras. And he gave, you know, me, Tomo, you know, Fraser. We, we, that was a brilliant shoot, Tom. I wanted oh, that. Oh, it was so, so good. It was like, because um, it was only quick, wasn't it? It was only, what was it, 10, 10 days we were shooting? Yeah, it was only meant to be wow. it was a 26-page script, wasn't it? Yeah. And but then, yeah, that, in true sorry, fashion, Tom. we ended up shooting so much, didn't we? <laughs> that was so good. That I haven't actually sat and watched that for years. But it was a great little shoot, that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was magic. And, and the guy that did that come back to me a number of years later and he'd stood by his word when we did that because I was kind of like, look, if the money behind it is coming from a kind of ad agency perspective, I've got all of these fears that I won't be able to make it. I don't want to, I don't mind putting my name to an advert because, you know, your name's not on an advert and you can kind mm. of, if you're not that keen on it or it doesn't turn out or you don't think it's as good as you could have made it, no worries. But with it being a film and it phrases scripts and working with Tomo particularly, you know, actors who you're, massively respect i was thinking god you know i was worried and i didn't need to be worried and so when greg came back with co-op and said they've got this idea for you to go to the centers that they support around the country that you think you know that speak to you it was it was almost that was the last thing i made it was almost like the first one where i traveled the country but on this this one i actually did some films and made some films that i think are really not special because that sounds a bit egotistical but i, I think that they're 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 me and um and yeah. i was allowed to kind of be myself on them and i'm really really proud of them you know i'm hoping at some point to get some shorts and things thrown up on the internet and, and if i was putting them up i'd put them alongside with it because we were given complete carte blanche with that and you know it was an amazing experience well, yeah the yeah. um you know, we was texting about it the other day, Shane, just quickly. Um, you know the uh, the Made of Stone documentary that you made? Um, yeah. But, but you, you said that, that because you'd never seen the um, Stone Roses, had you, until until that, that first time was in Warrington, was it? Exactly, yeah. No, I'd, I'd never seen them. And, um, yeah, because no, obviously by the time I was in a position where I maybe could have afforded to, to travel to see them, they weren't together anymore. So, so the, the whole experience of filming that um, must have been a massive treat for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, that sometimes you pinch yourself. I mean, I, I went from, I think we just I got, I had this lovely thing happen where about I'd met Ian Brown at Banksy had an exhibition in Bristol. And I went down to this uh, exhibition with my wife and there were some absolutely incredible people there, you know, a who's who's of kind of heroes of mine and. And, and Ian Brown was there and, you know, it's that thing where you you, you don't want to be someone that goes up and introduces someone. You know, it's like walking up to someone and having a dinner in a restaurant or something. He was there for something yeah. else. But I just yeah. I just did that thing that people do. And you, you, I suppose you have to because you might never see that person again. And I, I went up and sort of said, you know, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm a big massive fan blah 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 um you know and uh and i told him my name and, and he recognized the name he said you, you know you didn't do dead man's shoes did you and i said yeah and he said oh god all the boys on the tour bus were hassling me to watch that a few months ago and i sat and watched these oh, it's a banger you know and we ended up um having a brilliant chat and it was like my life was made on that day you know just from Aww. meeting him and talking to him but maybe six months later my i don't know whether it was my agent uh dean rogers I can't think about it. There was like three or four people that got in touch with me and said, I've had a message for someone who knows Ian Brown or Ian Brown himself is trying to get hold of your number. 
And so I got this text of his number and, and made this phone call. And then I got this news, which was almost like a poison chalice in a way, because I was going to have to hold it for three months before I could even say ah. anything. So whatever it was. And, and Ian said, you know, me and the band are getting back together. And we sat and said, because they'd had a rough time with the press, awful, you know. Mm. So, you know, if it was now, it would be even worse. But every, every, it's a bit like Oasis, the Gallagher brothers, everything they did was on the news. You know, you couldn't hide from anything. And, um, and they said, you know, we shouldn't really do a doc. It'll just be a pain in the arse. And, and then I don't know what my name must have come up in there. And there was this because there, there was a mixture between Man City fans, Man U fans. They never agree on anything, but they all agreed <laughs> to at least see me. And they rang me and uh, and I, I got in touch with Mark and I sort of said, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing in the world because you are literally the, the one person in the world I know couldn't keep a secret if you tried. But you know, <laughs> have to. Um, and uh, and we locked I don't know, a week after that of knowing that we're getting back together, I got another call saying, we want you to come to the rehearsal room to meet everyone, see what we think. No commitments either way. Me and Mark locked uh, the final episode of This Is England 88 in London, came up in a van, picked up a camera, and uh, and then the opening scene to the film where we're sort of driving into the uh, into that place, it, it was all captured yeah. live. And I remember saying to Mark, if we get to go in and hear one song and they hate us or they don't think it's going to work, <laughs> I will have seen them live. And we, I think when we came in, they were doing Bye Bye Badman and running it round. And we walked in and Ian like motioned his finger for me and Mark to come and sit on a sofa next to him. And I'm not, I'm, honestly, it was like, I felt like an eight-year-old kid, you know, seeing Palais or something. It was, oh. it was unbelievable. And I sat there and you're trying to be cool and you're trying to not be a massive moron. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it blew my mind. And, and I sat there and, and I watched that. And I, I remember thinking if nothing else comes of it, then this would be worth it. Oh, mate. Yeah. I, like, I, I texted you the day, didn't I? I just said that I'd rewatched it. And it's like, as a fan of the Stone Roses and a fan of your work, it's like, it's so, it's so, such a good film. So if there is anyone that's listening that hasn't seen it, then it, it was a fan of, you know, Shane's work or the Roses, then you should definitely go watch it. But um, oh, thanks to Yeah. So, so 100%. good. And like you say, I think the best thing about it is that we get to see you. We get to see the, the documentary filmmaker just being excited about it and stuff. That's that's just oh, one of that's it's still still to the day <laughs> is one of the best nights of my life was the Manchester premiere of that film. Oh, Such that was amazing. A good night. So yeah. so so good. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliant. But um, I I reckon that's about it. How, how long have we got there, Andy? Is that it's, we're on like forty nine minutes. So yeah, that was oh, oh, so, yeah, yeah yeah. Sorry, mate. Go on. Unless you wanted to talk about your um your your last one, Shane, which I think. Because I was a bit confused because I know you've got a fair few and I know Tom has got like his whole body covered or did yeah. have at one point was um, sleeve tattoos. Yeah, yeah, I've got um, I've got nothing against tattoos at all. The thing that I don't like now, because when I was a kid growing up, tattoos were <laughs> like a sign of a sort of, you know, in my dad's generation, you know, my dad was a hell's angel. He had all these, you know really sort of raw rock rock tail tattoos elvis tattoos skulls all of that sort of stuff and there was this yeah. sort of almost like a navy quality to some of those that you know they were uber cool you know my mum's my mum's mum and dad hated the fact he'd got them and all of that now and when you go down to you know to you know to buy a latte or you know you go to an estate agent pops around or fucking anybody now has designed their own sleeve 
with things that mean something to them, like the Star of Capricorn, the day that Neil kissed fucking Lucy, and <laughs> I see these things that they're designing, and because I, I was thinking of having some more tattoos, and I've realised now I'm the renegade because I've got bare arms at the bottom, and so I, I've got because someone like Joe Gilgun who's covered in them, his tattoos are amazing because they're not. They're from the heart, and, and same with Tomo. You know, you've got some good ones, you've got some wank ones on your arse, and it's yeah. like it's where someone has kind of. It was around that time that people started growing beards, shaving their hair really tight, and then the jeans that went sort of a bit hipster, too tight. Isn't it? That sort of yeah. everyone's, everyone's become a hipster nowadays, aren't they? Yeah. And, and it was like, and I started seeing these ones and you'd kind of look at them and, you know, because some people have the most amazing cool sleeves. It's not sleeves per se. It's mm. a bit like, you know, you see a bodybuilder with a really titchy head that doesn't look right on its head. You kind of, you go, that's, yeah. that's not the body you were meant to have, but you've given yourself something. <laughs> and it's like the same with the arms. You know, I see an arm and I just kind of go, you're not meant to have that study of Picasso and fucking, you know, charlie dimmock on your arm <laughs> that's the it's, thing with uh, tattoos is sometimes people um people really rush into them and i've got friends who, are, who have got loads of tattoos and um i remember i was driving down driving i can't remember where we was going but anyway i was driving along and my mate said to me he said oh he said i've got a full day of tattooing booked in uh, on monday this was on a saturday so in two days time he said oh, i've got a full day of tattooing booked and i'm like Oh sweet! He said, I said, "What are you getting?" He said, oh, "I'm going to get my leg done. I'm going to get like get my whole leg done." And I was like, "Oh, buzzing mate, what are you going to get?" And he was like, "Oh, I don't really know yet." And it's like, well, in, in two days, you're going to put some on your body that's going to oh be there God. forever." And I guess it's like, crazy. like what Shane just said, I've I've got I've got a lot of tattoos, but all of my silly tattoos are in a place that no one would ever see. You know, the only time that I've ever got that out now is, you know, when, I, when I'm in the shower or whatever. So no mm. one really sees all my bad tattoos. But, you know, I've, I've got tattoos. Did you get your ass out on Alan Carr? Yeah, that Not was Alan years Carr. ago. That was years ago. Come on. That was when I was a fame-hungry idiot. But now I'm like, OK, <laughs> think about things a bit more now. But no, but like a lot of my tattoos... Every one that you'll see all means something to me. You know, I've got yeah, the one absolutely. across my chest that's that's for my mom, and then I've got the nice one on my leg that I've got done. Um, I, so, so they all mean something to me. But nowadays, kids are just rushing into getting these tattoos that just mean nothing to them. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind yeah, of it's like, like a fashion accessory. I think that I think you see some people that are, are covered, and it looks incredible, and you know it's part of their identity, and every single every single needle hole in there means something. And then other people, it's like they've just thrown on some, you know, designer jeans or something. It's just like putting that. a watch on. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, obviously each to their own and stuff like that. But it's in that camp of like, you know, parents' voices at the park with kids. There's something about it that, and you know, that just um, yeah makes me feel a bit sick. But. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but like i say i, I just um, when i kind of grew up we were doing them on each other down the park and, and all of that so obviously i'm it's great that people are having them all done in proper places but there's something um that's depowered them i think it all started with beckham and I, i'm beckham's biggest fan but i think him having them made them cool to a lot of people that would cool. never have thought about doing it yeah yeah definitely definitely i think you, you like, uh, go on no go on mate go on go on, go on. I was going to say, like, because obviously I've I've got the one tattoo, which is the, the cross, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah you've got the cross that, on your finger from the Yeah, film, yeah. You know, that, because I, I remember when we um we went back to do 86, and I wanted to do it, like, I'd wanted to do it since I kind of, since we did the film, I've, I've, I always talked about getting it done, and then you kind of said, oh, yeah, you should, maybe you should go and get them done and stuff. And um, 
it's something that means so much to me. I, I couldn't imagine just getting like a fucking, I don't know, a, a football or something just dashed on my back. <laughs> just getting a, get a big football <laughs> on your back. A tin of Westlaw. What was that? A tin of Westlaw hot dogs or something. <laughs> yeah, but people do, you know, I, I bet that's not the most ridiculous one. And people got your face tattooed on them, Tom. You've, you've sent me pictures of people. Come on, with mate, your... that's not ridiculous. I'm a British icon. This is England's a British iconic film. Yeah. Come on. Come on, pick um, something worth picking on. <laughs> yeah, I know, but people, I, I guess are kind of like, because this is England meant so much to some people, then that's kind of like, yeah. you know, people that people are sort of proud to be British and whatnot. So I guess that's kind of, but I mean, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I've had it, I've had it covered now, but I, I got, um, I tattooed a, a, an Adidas Originals logo onto my ankle. Can you remember that? Yes, I certainly uh, do. Yeah, well, yeah, because you had to get makeup artists to cover it, I guess. That's right. Sorry, go on. You all turned up in between series. Like, you'd go away from This Is England 86 to 88. Woody was the best. He'd come back with, like, postcodes on his arms that weren't there the year. <laughs> yeah, he, he literally got a postcode on his arm, didn't he? But from, <laughs> yeah, from, and that's the thing I love about Joe, because his, you know... They weren't like designer classics. They were things that it was his nan's postcode. And it's like, what a beautiful idea. If you looked at it on a bush, you'd think, what on earth is that? But when you actually asked him what it meant, it meant something. And that's kind of, yeah, that was beautiful. But it wasn't beautiful for the makeup people because you all were evolving, um, you know, (laughs) and having tattoos of things that obviously didn't exist in 1988. Yeah, God, I remember when I had to cover my leg one up when we was doing... um... The infamous uh, masturbation scene in <laughs> to eighty-eight. That one. And the, uh, Sean, one, Sean, one Sean, I think it. Yeah, it is. It's the Christmas one because yeah. you're in the play and that on. <laughs> yeah, I think it's when Sean creeps off to to knock one out. I remember that being um, that being a massive issue because the one on my legs literally like like my whole calf pretty much. So it's a bit of a pain in the ass. But I, what the one thing my dad always did say to me when I was a kid was when I got my first tattoo because my first tattoo was. Um, my mum's name I just got Sharon on my arm in really small writing just on my shoulder and I remember I used to walk around like with my sleeve rolled up a little bit to like because I must I think I was only 17 or something 17 18 so I used to think I was really cool with this little tattoo on my arm (laughs) and now thinking back about it I'm like oh that's quite embarrassing but my dad always said to me never he said, if you want to get tattoos, I can't stop you because he got a lot. It's similar to your dad, Shane. Yeah, he was uh, exactly. He's got all of the old yeah. school tattoos, but um, he always made me promise him that I'd never get any on my hands or face. So it was really difficult when, because we was all together when you got the cross tattooed on your finger, weren't we, Andy? Yeah, we, yeah. did it in Sheffield, didn't we? Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. And I and I remember thinking, oh, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. But in respect to my dad, I was like, he did always make me promise never to get it because he always thinks it's say if we're at a wedding or if we're at a funeral or a christening or anywhere you've got to wear a suit. He said you can always you can put a suit on and you can let no one will ever know you've got any tattoos. So I get and I always had to respect that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that, mate. It, you know the the cross thing was I suppose because I'd put that on me as a kid and then because combo was putting it on onto you there was something iconic it for whatever reason it become something that we all identified with and um yeah and we, everyone sort of i can't i can't remember what what era was it gads when people all had the tattoo it wasn't after the film was it was it on one of the it's series it was, it was when we okay. yeah when we were uh, rehearsing uh, that week of rehearsals and that for, for 86 yeah yeah because yeah, if, well, if i see you guys and look down and see it i feel a special certain kind of pride <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Because to me, because because obviously it's a crucifix, but I'm I'm an atheist. But to me, that's a T for this is England, and it you know it 
it's something that completely changed my life, I guess. So yeah, me that too. Means, mate. That means yeah. you know more to me than, than 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 any you know other daft tattoo you can you can get. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely tattoo, and it's and it is nice to know that. You know the amount of people that have come up to me in the streets uh, on on nights out and things, and they've all had the cross tattooed on the fingers. It, it's kind of like I, I guess for you, Shane, it, it must be. It's kind of like it's really humbling. Even for me, you know, it's kind of nice that people have been so attached to to what we made. It's like yeah, it, it is. It's it's lovely because every time someone asks you when are you going to do another one, you know, I never get tired of, of being asked that question because it means that obviously people if people want more of something it means you've done your job properly doesn't it so it's yeah, uh you it. know and especially because it was you know, obviously initially when i wrote it it was kind of about me growing up in the 80s but i think all of us as it pulled us all along everyone there's a piece of all of our childhoods in there isn't there you know and that's um that's probably why it's special and i've never and i never would rule out um it's a bit like ross and rachel on friends it's never off the table another this is england mm. so uh, yeah you know you can't um uh, you can't ever rule it out because the, there's something about the fact that we've all grown up together somehow in there that um, I'd love to go back at some point and I'm hoping you guys would as well. Yeah, of course. Someone someone mentioned something the other day, though. Um, someone said, because we've all grown up now, and you, and you know, like when we, when we was doing 86, 88 and 90, we sort of like, it was it was part and part of the parcel where we was all out all the time. We was all yeah. And then that sort of like that become part of it. Whereas now, as as nearly thirty year old, and I, I kind of like I kind of take my job a little bit more serious now. So I, if I've got work the day after, I w- I wouldn't dream of going. I wouldn't dream of being in Viper rooms until six a.m. knowing that I've got a full day at work. And I kind of think I wonder what that would be like on set if we went back and did another This Is England where we're not all out. All you know, we're all. On yeah. FaceTime and in bed by ten o'clock, I think it'd probably the most boring bit. thing in the world, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, not, I'm, I'm, you know, and you lot, you know, because obviously on the original film you weren't, you had chaperones, um, you were like, yeah. taught lessons in the day. So when we did eighty six, I'm not surprised the floodgates opened a bit for you lot, and um, oh yeah, I'm with you, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if we all went back and it was as dull as dishwater. It's, yeah. uh, but, but then but then I, I think with the way that we all are i think give it a give it a day or two and then it'd be like oh actually no we, we, we i think it's part of the job that in it you know what i mean just all of us having fun together and because we've all known each other for so long i guess it's kind of like it, within a day it'd feel like we never really left you know what I yeah. Mean? yeah yeah it, it would be it's a summer holiday i think whenever we go back to it i think i think it's waiting for us that you can actually i know you probably didn't realize that you can go out like i did with mark and have three pints and go home and still be busy <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna work. yeah you do what <laughs> yeah oh god some of those times because when we all did 86 we all shared apartments didn't we and uh you, you was in there as well weren't you shane i was tomo yeah <laughs> <laughs> do we have to go there guys <laughs> oh god some of the some of the the the, the things that sort of come across well, that was I'm- bizarre in my dreams it was like it was the things that went on you know <laughs> but it was just you were you were just you hadn't had a chance to do any of that on the film and then you obviously yeah. went back parted and had the crack and the mistake that was made was me thinking whatever age i was a 35 year old man um you know could sort of be living up the corridor from his cast it was the worst idea i'd ever had but <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you are right there though because like i remember that 
that first, that very, very first night in the flats. And we all, we were all in that, was it Michael Soccer who had the balcony room? Yeah. And it, it literally, you could have sat there with a camera and it, it would have just been a scene out of, it would have been a party scene out of, out of the, the series, wouldn't it? Like we all just kind of, not reverted into the characters, but we, yeah, it was just crazy, wasn't it? You had Joe Gilgan saying, you know, as he does, just telling mad stories and, you know, I think I was like comatosed on the bed at one point, really drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Shimmy, had, Shimmy had his pads out trying to fight everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those wrestling days were amazing when we were when we used to put oh, those yeah. big coats on. You used to put a massive ski jacket on them. Romo Greco, <laughs> Roman Greco wrestled Shimmy, <laughs> and you all had guns as well. Do you remember that when you all had? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found mine the other day. I was clearing out the house and I found my big shotgun. It's huge. Oh, God. And there's a way you can pump it and it fires like seven bullets at the same time. Oh, it's my like... God. The, 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 best, the best memory of that was I remember walking into um, Joe Gilgan's flat. Um, I don't. I think I must have needed some milk or something and I went upstairs to, to, to nick some off him. And as I walked through his front door, I got shot in the shin by about four different BB guns from a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, Joe was lay on his bedroom floor with the door open and he just went two hours. I went, what? He went, I've been lay here for two hours waiting for someone to come in. <laughs> oh my and he God. completely just shot me machine. And I believe that he was there for two hours as well with Joe. <laughs> you remember the one where you started punching each other in the undercarriage? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can remember that. that. Yeah. Used to, well, yeah, because I remember there was this thing where you'd be stood... You had to be at your most innocent and most vulnerable. So you might be talking to costume or makeup and then someone would sneak up behind you, go underneath you and hit you as hard as they could. <laughs> and then you called it, you remember, you called it true. So I don't know whether you signed a treaty. An but amnesty. Like, we had an amnesty zone. Yeah. Yeah. And you had an amnesty zone. And it was down to things like when you were ordering food in takeaways and, you know, whenever oh, someone was... Oh. The amnesty kicked in and you, you broke the amnesty, Tomo, didn't you? I fully broke it, yeah. Joe was ordering a Chinese and I, uh, Joe Gilgan, who played Woody, and uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I, hit it, I hit him so hard in the balls, he was spewing up all the way back. <laughs> we was walking up this hill and it took us about 20 minutes, but he was sort of like... <laughs> It was spewing up so much, but it was making me laugh. I was <laughs> crying and like snot coming out my nose. And I thought, oh yeah, that that was one of the funniest things ever. And, and I remember for days, days and days and days, like I was saying to it, like I'd be I'd creep into makeup in the morning and I'd be like to Catherine, I'd say, has anyone seen Joe? Is he still angry? Is, any, is, he, is he still pissed off with me? Like I don't want to. I need to know what's going to go on. But in the end, he just uh, he froze a pair of my trainers. I bought a brand new pair of Nikes and um, I went into my flat one day to put them on and I couldn't find them. And uh, I said, has anyone seen my Nikes? And then I asked Joe, and he was like, have a look in your freezer. So I went, <laughs> <laughs> and Do you remember how we got him back though? No, no. Me, me and you Googled best best pranks to play. And um, we went upstairs and got some oh, cling film and put it around his toilet seat. So basically, Shane, the idea is Joe would go for a pee, not see the cling film, and oh, nice. pee everywhere. But Vicky went on his toilet before oh, he could, oh. so Vicky ended up just covered in piss. Oh, jeez, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, some of the greatest times. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, such a good, good, good laugh that we have on that, isn't it? Magic, absolutely magic, mate. Yeah, it is a summer holiday, like you say. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure we've got one more in us, but. Uh, yeah, who knows? 
Oh, we'll see. Well, um, I think we should. I think we can. Uh, we can. We can end it on on that note. Um, thanks. Thanks so much for doing it, Shane. I know, obviously, like you say, you're busy writing and stuff, but oh, thank no you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Personally, I don't see his problem with big tattoos. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the problem is, I've actually, let me show you this actually. We can get in on that. On. You, if you look close enough yeah. here, you can yeah. see his name. Have you actually got a show? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got his name tattooed on me, so nice. take it back. Show everybody my name tattooed on you. No, I've grown up now. I don't like getting them out. Um, no, I, I mean, that, that's the thing, in it? Because obviously Shane's like, got nothing against tattoos, as he says, but um, it's, it's those that, you know, I guess are just meaningless, pointless tattoos, isn't it? Is mm. what he says. And well, your there is that, I mean, I've seen your legging. IRL in real life and, and you've got stuff there that, that means a lot to you yeah. your angel on your chest do you know what I mean each one of your tattoos mean a lot to you yeah, that's 80% of them do mean something 80%, what are 80% the... of them because I've got quite a lot of shit ones that I got when I was a kid that I thought was funny and I thought was a good idea what? but then as you grow up I would like now because for people who are listening who don't know I've got loads of names on my on my ass and um Andy Ellis is one of them. I've got Vicky McClure, Joe Gilgan. I've got all of the cast of This Is England. Um, and when I was 18, I thought, oh, that's a good idea. But now, like, it's like Shimmy always says, oh, show me your ass. I'm like, yeah. I'm nearly 30 now, Shim. I don't want to be getting my ass out and smoking shit. Nobody shows. wants to see it at 30. You know what I mean? So it's a prime example, like, rushing into tattoos, getting them when you're a kid. Yeah. And not thinking about it. And my dad said that to me. He said, he said, first of all, you're a fucking idiot, but he's got bad tattoos as well. But he said, you'll get to a certain age, Tomo, and you'll regret them. And, and I said, not, not that I regret them, but I do think that was a stupid idea. It's a part of your life, isn't it, at the end of the day? I'm, I'm a big believer in, like, not really... I mean, I, I don't have any regrets in anything um, that I've ever done. And I think no. you've got to be that way, like, you know. And, and, and with your tattoos, yeah, they're with you forever, but that, that's not you anymore and that's just a part of your I mean, life you can right? get a new wife can't you but you can't get rid of tattoos so well you can because just can... thinking of big regrets in my life that's all mate sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry charlotte <laughs> no you have um you've just got to think about it haven't you yeah exactly i mean you know um if, if there is younger listeners out there obviously they're going to be probably doing the same as what you did when your dad told you they're going to be saying shut the fuck up tomo you old bugger yeah, uh, I'll do what I want. But yeah. that's that's part of being young, I guess, isn't it? And and like Shane said himself, you know, um, you know, like obviously we've got that because Shane's got that. Um, to him. I, 
you well, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of us from the from this is England have. Um, you know, the ones who struggle to let it go. That's what I like to think. The ones <laughs> who struggle to let it go got the tattoo on the fingers. But that's fine. That's a different conversation for a different day, isn't it? Just legs making. I, I, <laughs> just one more thing to say, Glenn. Um, obviously, for those who who paid attention and 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 listened there, Shane all but confirmed another one. So. Yeah. How can we let it go, Tomo, when we keep getting pulled back? Well, that's it, mate. I'm on Sky One now, though. I don't think he can afford me. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm on the dole. He can afford me. <laughs> <laughs> no, which is exciting, though, because it's one of them, isn't it? Sort of, particularly when we was kids and we and we knew that Shane was going to make more. It's like, when's that phone going to ring? Like, when are we going to go back? Yeah. When are we off on? It's like waiting to go on holiday, isn't it? It's like when are we off back on holiday? That's it. I think he said in the podcast, didn't he? It's like a summer holiday to him when we do yeah. it. It is like, I mean, you know, we touched on it in the chat there, but like, there's no other job like it. There's no, no and that's not just us saying that as that wankery actor thing that wankery actors say, like, oh no, there's no job like this. Genuinely, like, look at me and you now, like, I consider you one of my oldest, dearest friends. Mate, I've, I've known you and Shim and Soccer and all them lot longer than I've known any, any of my mates, I think. Yeah. Like, longer than I've known any of my mates. Really? Yeah, literally. Because I sort of hung around with a group of people when I was younger and then moved to a different estate. Um, yeah. After we'd done the film and never really saw many. I mean, I still see a, f- a few of them, like, but not. I, I see you a lot more than I see any of my other mates. So oh, wow. it's, it's nice that um, it's nice that it spawned that sort of relationship. And it? it's like for friends for life. Because when you're on a set, you do say to people a lot, oh, we'll stay in touch, we'll stay in touch. And you do for a while. And then, you know, sometimes because life gets in the way, so you can sort of drift apart, can't you? But that's it. You know, and people people are busy and stuff. And 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 yeah, you're right. Like you know, I can probably count on one hand the amount of people I've probably stayed in touch with from other jobs. You know, actors are, actors are fucking wankers anyway, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, actors are wankers. Yeah. I don't like staying in touch with them. <laughs> everyone, everyone was saying to me when I got married, "Oh, who's, any celebrities coming to your wedding?" I was like, "No, no, but, no, hate them." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you know, such a good, good podcast, and and and, and amazing to have Shane on because you know that man, uh, without again sounding cheesy in that, like changed our lives, gave us such a good opportunity, yeah. and now we've repaid him by giving him, you know, such a good opportunity to come on such an esteemed podcast. Well, know? there we go. Where we was in charge of this one. Yeah, I mean, he, you know. he was he was on our show this yeah. time. Yeah, so it's on our terms. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we're in charge here. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, another wicked episode. Um, thank you very much again, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll get get some news on uh, Thursday about what's going to happen again with this bloody lockdown. But I hope everyone's staying safe and staying well. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah, likewise, same for me. I hope everyone's doing well and try and remember to do a bit of exercise and cook some nice food, do some baking, anything to keep you busy, really. That's what's helping me. Um, but again, if you can all um, like, subscribe, um, you know, tell your friends that we're all, you know, we're now on YouTube. Obviously, some of the guests are not uh, um, are not able to do the, the video chats, but 90% of them are. So um, it's just a different platform for us as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, but obviously, yeah, yeah, get get on the YouTube, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, 
We've got the Patreon there as well, if you can. Obviously, times are shit right now, but yeah, if you can, like me and Tom all said, anything while the lockdown's on that we do, mate, that's going straight to um, any charities that, that, that we sort of think need the help, really. Um, we want to try and do our bit, I guess. Um, yeah. Patreon.com forward slash overrated everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one, another one down, Tomo. Episode six next week. See you all next week. See you next week.